As you heard already, Pastor Sandy and Miss Kathy are out of town, but uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the high school youth pastor here at the church, and I'm excited for the opportunity to come share the word with you guys. So if you have your Bible already, you can turn to Revelation chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand up, and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. Yes, you did hear correctly. The youth pastor is teaching in Revelation. Oh my. But it's going to be great. The Lord's going to speak. So let's pray before we get started. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, that you do want to speak to us here this morning. Lord, that we can come freely and openly to, to hear directly from you. So Lord, I pray you just fill us with your spirit to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Things are not always what they seem. Have you ever been so certain of something only to find out that your assumptions were like completely wrong? But this happens more often than we like to admit. We're often quick to assume and make judgments about ourselves and others based on our current circumstances. But often, first appearances are deceiving. Especially in our culture today that is obsessed with appearance. We go to great lengths to make sure we appear to have life all figured out. But under that outer shell of perfection, things aren't always so perfect, are they? This obsession with appearance is magnified on social media. Where people have the power to hand select what their appearance looks like to others often twisting the truth. People only share parts of their life they want you to see. Tell the stories that reflect them in a good light. Dress in a way that portrays them in a certain manner. You know, it's possible to create this whole other life that on social media where we can escape our real problems and get lost in the perfect life we've built online start to believe this altered image we've built up, and and we believe that it's actually our real life. We feel justified to ignore the actual struggles in life, and basically just because our our post got lots of likes or views. Truth is, friend, Instagram posts and TikTok videos don't always tell the truth about you and about others. But there is one object that doesn't have the ability to lie about your physical appearance. What is it? A mirror. Mirrors don't lie. They can't. You know, for as long as she could remember, the evil queen would daily ask her mirror, 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 on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Thou, O queen, are the fairest in the land. And one day, Snow White shows up in the town. Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Well, mirrors can't lie. So she says, it says, Snow White, O queen, is the fairest of them all. Which begins the queen's murderous plots. But you would think, you would think this mirror would have told the queen what she wanted to hear. I mean, come on, she's the queen. But mirrors don't lie. When has your bathroom mirror ever lied to you about the way your face looks? Never. 
a mirror is only capable of reflecting what is actually true, what is physically there. Now, we may stand in front of the mirror and lie to ourselves about what we see and what's actually true, but you're doing the deceiving, not the mirror. The mirror can't lie. A, A physical mirror can only reflect physical realities. But a basic mirror like that can't show what's truly going on inside spiritually. But there is a greater type of mirror that can reflect the truth on spiritual realities. A mirror more alive than the queen's magic mirror, a mirror that has a face in it and wants to speak to you, it's the mirror of the word of God. You know, in in James chapter 1, James likens the word of God to a mirror basically says, stand in front of the mirror of the word, and you're going to see the truth behind your actions. Behind your actions, you see your motives, your desires, your inward condition. It's all brought to the light. Truth is revealed. And here's the problem I, I think we need to talk about this morning, is many people today have a false perspective on their own spiritual condition. I would go even further. Many self-proclaimed Christians have a false perspective on their own spiritual condition. And with this many people here in this room, maybe someone in here has a false perspective on their own spiritual condition. You know, we do the same thing here. We, We put on a spiritual appearance before others. We say the right Christian things. We look the part around other Christians. We go to church. We talk about Jesus to other Jesus people, at least when we have to. We, we learn what it takes to appear like we're walking with Jesus. We create, if you will, a spiritual profile. You know, where, where we can act like we have it all together, but we don't. We, we portray to our church, our family, our friends, the, only the positive things that we want to show them. Tell the stories that reflect us in a good light. We manufacture an image of this perfect, ideal, Christian life. And that's all it is. An image. Just an image. We start to believe this, though. That this spiritual image of ourselves we've built up on the surface is actually real. And of value before God. And we become self-deceived and comfortable with the status quo. We feel like we don't have to deal with what's actually going on in our life under the surface. The sinful lifestyle I don't want to let go of. So what do we need to do here? Because, listen, there's much more at stake than getting validation from how many likes or views your video post gets. Eternity forever hinges on your real response to the truth. Jesus Christ. And... We don't want to be found wrong in our assumptions and it be too late. This is why God is challenging you and me to take a hard look into the mirror of God's word this morning and honestly examine our own spiritual condition. In our text here, in in Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14. Jesus is writing to the church of Laodicea, who also needed to stand before the word of God and allow it to cut through the false appearances they had built up of themselves. You know, it's been said that of all the seven churches here in Revelation that Jesus writes to, the church of Laodicea is the most representative of the modern church era, the modern church today. 
And Jesus is going to break down his letter to the Laodiceans in three sections. We're going to follow him. First, Jesus is going to explain their spiritual condition. Second, he's going to tell us what caused this condition to be so. And third, he's going to give them a solution, the, the way to get right with God and turn, turn from their current condition. There's going to be some tough words for each of us if we're willing to listen, though. I mean, if you know this section of Scripture, you know it's about to get ugly. But it, it's, it's given to us out of love. I want you to remember that. He, he's writing this to the Laodiceans out of God's great love for them, and we're going to see that. You know, the letter is not written only for the Laodiceans, but according to verse 22, if you look at it, he says, He who has an ear should hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's do this. If you have ears, raise your hand. Oh my goodness, all of us, or at least most of us have ears. That's great. So that, was, that means this is written to you too. So let's, let's jump in. Verse 14 says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Get a little context on Laodicea here before we start. The city of Laodicea was found in a valley between two other major cities, Colossae and Herapolis. The city quickly grew because of its ideal position on these trade routes and the banking centers in the area, which also meant they grew incredibly rich. Laodicea became known as the city that has need of nothing. They were really a self-reliant people. It was clearly seen in 60 AD, actually, when a major earthquake comes and just levels the city and other cities in the area. In response, Rome comes in and says, hey, we want to offer you federal aid, basically. But the people of Laodicea said, uh, thanks, but no thanks, I'm good. We, they chose to rebuild the city using their own personal financial resources. <laughs> they had no need for any handouts. And I suspect they took pride in that fact, too. They, they were known throughout their world for two primary exports that they shipped out. Laodiceans had some famous sheep who were softer than your average sheep, sporting a glossy, pure, dark, blackish, blue wool. They were fancy, man. And many gar- fancy garments were made there. And they also had a medical school in the city as well, which created an eye salve that was thought to have healing benefits for weary and deteriorating eyes. Two, two things they really shipped out a lot. But the city did have one glaring problem it was also famous for. Water supply issues. Great. There, there were not enough springs and streams and natural water within the city to support itself. So they had to have water piped in via aqueducts from the nearby cities, Colossae and Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. Boiling hot water, shooting right out of the ground, was piped over to Laodicea. But by the time it traveled the six miles to get to Laodicea, it wasn't very hot anymore. The water cooled down to this unpleasant, lukewarm temperature. Colossae, the other city, was known for its crisp, ice-cold springs, perfectly clean water, beautiful. But after the 11-mile journey, the water arriving in Laodicea has warmed up to a tepid, stagnant, lukewarm water 
It's gross. So if you were traveling, if you were traveling to Laodicea, you knew that lukewarm water was on the menu. You knew it was waiting for you. Which, let's be honest, doesn't sound very appealing. Who here likes coffee, right? Like a lot of us like coffee. The, the question should be like, who here doesn't like coffee? Gosh. Have you ever had a cup of coffee, though, with friends, and after sitting and chatting for some while, your once hot drink has become this slightly warm cup of bleh. Like The change in temperature seems to make it taste different, even. Your tepid coffee now weird, leaves this weird film in your mouth now, and you're like, this is gross. Why am I drinking this? I mean, seriously, nobody goes to Starbucks and orders a slightly warm pumpkin spice latte. You're just a little weird if you order that way. But Laodicea was known for this, for for their lukewarm water supply. And the church of Laodicea was most likely founded there by Paul as well, who mentions Laodicea four times in his letter to the Colossians. And while this church may have started well with Paul, there was a spiritual decline occurring there, and we're going to see that. Jesus, having much to say to these people, he introduces himself here in verse 14 as the amen, faithful and true, the beginning of creation. You know, amen isn't just the exclamation point you put at the end of your prayer. It's not something that you, you yell out whenever you like, like whatever is happening, like, preach, amen, sister. Like, it means, so be it. It is done. It also means truth or verity. Jesus is saying up front to this church, I am the truth. I am the so be it. I am unchanging. Which really is going to contrast the changes that are happening in the church there. He starts to describe these changes in verse 15. Read with me. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know, standing face to face with the mirror of the word. The spiritual condition of these Laodiceans is shown Like those waters that they drank daily, the Laodiceans were spiritually lukewarm. You know, to be spiritually lukewarm, it means to be like like you're in the middle. You don't have this frozen, cold heart of unbelief, but you also don't have a committed, hot heart on fire for God. Lukewarmness is in the middle, a position of compromise, indifference. Is the zone where a Christian attempts to live halfway in the world and halfway for Jesus. The lukewarm Laodiceans were basically caught straddling the fence. And though there's an outward appearance of religion, under the surface nothing is happening. They're empty, going through the motions. They exemplify something that we call today cultural Christianity. This is when a person claims to be a Christian just because they go to church once or twice a week. Being a Christian is only an occasional activity they put on their schedule and take part of, rather than committing their life to Jesus. 
you know, just like a highly filtered Instagram page of a girl who's hiding behind her online image. The lukewarm Christian wears the profile picture of a Christian, but under the surface, there's really not much there. In the middle, in the middle here, the person thinks they have enough of Jesus to where they don't really feel like they need to seek him any further. It's hard for this person to even recognize that they even need Jesus because they're comfortably warm in both the world and God. It's very hard to reach a person who's indifferent. You know, we certainly know this in the Bible Belt here in the South. Saying you are a Christian is popular in our area, right? In fact, most people consider themselves Christian. They attend church sometimes and hear the name Jesus regularly. Many people claim and want to claim all of the benefits and eternal security of being a Christian all the while living like they don't need Jesus at all and show no interest to seek him. Jesus even says here he'd rather the church be cold unbelievers than be lukewarm professing Christians. What? I mean, at least unbelievers live like unbelievers, right? They're good at it. They're great. Uh, And he's saying at least the cold person would be able to recognize their need for Jesus. Because in the cold person, in the cold heart, there's something missing in their life. They can tangibly feel it. Jesus is saying the cold person will actually hear me out. You see, lukewarmness, it, it blurs the lines. It mocks God and what he's done for us. A lukewarm walk says something like this. Jesus, I don't really need that much of you. I, I have enough already. Just let me be. I got, I, we've got enough of you. You know, we, we sang that classic worship song this morning, I Give You My Heart. Oldie but goodie, right? And great song. But what if we change the lyrics to represent a lukewarm heart towards God? It sounds something like this. And no, I'm not going to sing it. This is part of my desire to honor you. Lord, with half my heart, I worship you. With some of what's within me, I give you praise. Some of that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you half of my heart. I give you half of my soul. I don't really live for you alone. In some breaths that I take, in some of the moments I'm awake, you can have your way in me. Imagine how that would sound to God. And it's because of this indifferent, lax, who cares attitude that I believe Christians are often sometimes stereotyped as hypocrites. And oftentimes it can be valid. People look at Christians and say, oh, those Christians, they say they're different. They say they have Jesus, but they're doing the same things I'm doing. They're not living any different than me. All they're doing is talking about Jesus, not living for him. Why would I want to follow that kind of guy, that Jesus, that God? Christianity must not be something to take seriously. It's disheartening to consider how many people have rejected Jesus because of the lukewarm lives of those who say they trust him. You know, in fact, 
Jesus tells us his response here. He, you can't miss it. He says, all of this makes him sick. He says, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Guys, Jesus is not cool with straddling the fence, bro. You can't serve two masters. You can't lead two different lives. He doesn't say here, lukewarmness caused him to spittle or spit (laughs) or just say, ew. It causes him to puke. To upchuck. Projectile vomit. Hurl. It's important you get this word picture here. (laughs) To vomit is a violent expulsion of an irritant in your stomach that needs to be quickly cleansed out before it harms the rest of the body. And Jesus is saying this spiritual compromise, this spiritual indifference, half-heartedness, it's sickening. How can we take the greatest treasures of heaven and eternity and just put them on the back burner and turn down the heat? He says, the purpose of my coming was to see men and women saved. But you guys in Laodicea are just down here playing church, mocking what I've done. It makes me sick. Laodiceans, they were comfortable in this lukewarm spiritual condition. But how did they get there? He tells us in verse 17 what caused their spiritual condition. It reads, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not actually know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 17, we find the cause for their lukewarmness and lukewarmness in us. It's threefold. The church was self-deceived, self-obsessed. They were compromised. The first factor causing lukewarmness is self-deception. You know, the mirror of God's word was put up in front of them, and it had a much different assessment of the people than what they actually thought of themselves. Compare the two here. The people project out that they are rich, wealthy, need nothing. But Jesus says, whoa, 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 not so fast. You're making me sick. You're so much in your pride right now. You think you're great, but you're actually deceived. You're wretched, poor, miserable, blind, naked. Friend, the more we try to appear like we need nothing, that everything is perfect in our lives, the more we deceive ourselves then and slip further into half-heartedness Because what happens is we start to believe our own lies about ourselves to be true. And really deep down, we're miserable. Second factor here causing lukewarmness is self-obsession. And man, these guys were obsessed with themselves. There is so much emphasis here that Jesus puts on the fact that they say, I am rich, I am wealthy, I need nothing. No, a sure way to become lukewarm is to become self-absorbed. Selfishness is being nurtured in our culture, though. And it's kind of starting to slip into the church as well. This idea that we need to have more time spent focusing on ourselves is being introduced into the modern church. 
as if we're not already consumed with ourselves enough. Jesus said the exact opposite of this message. He says in Matthew 16, If anyone desires to come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I don't know about you, man, but I have a lot of selfishness that needs to die, not to be nurtured. The third factor causing lukewarmness is compromise. Instead of holding fast to the spiritual truths that they once knew, they lowered their standards, got focused on the wrong things, and started ignoring the right things. They became materialistic, it seems, taking great pride in their wealth and riches and their ability to have need of nothing. And they become so wrapped up in the world and themselves, it's clear that they're ignoring the Bible. Jesus says to them, here's how we can tell. He says, you say one thing, but if you were really spending time with me in the word, you would know that you're really this, something different. You know, when we neglect the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives, we start getting colder towards God, end up being comfortable in this lukewarm state. If we were to sum it up, they were spiritually blind. And if you're blind, you can't see that you're miserable, poor, naked. You can't see what really matters. You know, theologi- theologian John Wolverd said it well. He said, the Laodiceans are typical of the modern world, which revels in that which the natural eye can see, but is untouched by the gospel, does not see beyond the veil of the material to see the unseen and real eternal spiritual riches. Jesus, though, he doesn't leave him hanging. He offers them the solution in verse 18. He says, I counsel you then to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So, what's the solution to overcoming lukewarmness, half-heartedness? Come back to me. Be zealous. Repent. Jesus is saying to them, listen, I can help you. You need to look to me. Stop looking at yourself. Do you want spiritual riches? True spiritual riches? Hey, come to me. Come get them from me. I'll give them to you. I want to give you this white garment to replace your glossy black garment from the world. Receive the pure, righteous covering from me. So cover the shame of your nakedness, your former guilt. And look. Laodiceans, I know you send your fancy eye cream all over the world, but I don't care. You need my eye cream. You need, you're spiritually blind. You need to come to me. Have your spiritual vision restored. See the world and yourself and me from the heavenly perspective, is what he's saying. Come back to me. Be heated up. Be zealous. Committed. See, the problem for, for us, for, for Christians, we, we've been looking for the world to satisfy all these needs you have. And it hasn't worked out. It never will. 
Let me tell you something. There, there, there isn't enough time. There isn't enough money in the world to satisfy you. Jesus, though, can satisfy every need. But, but, but I want the world to make me feel important, to make me feel worthy, to make me feel beautiful. So, so we look for validation in all the wrong places. And Jesus is saying, wait, whoa, come to me for all of that. And I'm, I can do all those things, and I'll do it my way. Let me be your supplier for everything. Everything. And then your faith can be like gold tried in the fire. You know, the, the purpose of your life and my life is to be in fellowship, in relationship with God. That's, that's what we were created for. And because of this, you will never find satisfaction anywhere else. So he cries out here, and you can hear the passion in his words. He's crying out for you and me to turn away from our sin, repent, come back. And in verse 19, did you catch that verse? He drops a bombshell statement, bro. You, you know, we look at this letter to the Laodiceans, and we automatically think like the most crazy verse in this letter is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. No, that's not the craziest verse in this letter. The, the most mind-blowing words in this letter are in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Because let's be honest, <laughs> this is a tough section of scripture to let pour over us and bring to light problems in our lives. Because if we were honest, I think each of us would say there's a little more Laodicean in each of us than we would like to admit. This is tough. You know, Bible scholars agree that outside of Jesus' rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, this letter to the church of Laodicea is the most scathing, heated challenge that Jesus makes in Scripture. And it's issued to the church, to you, to me. And I can see it. I can see it even on some of your faces. You're thinking like, goodness, Andrew, chill, man. Like, I get it. I thought I was okay, but I'm not. When will this rebuke chastening end? Verse 19. I love you. I love you who I rebuke and chasten. You know, God's chastening, his correcting is done because he loves you and has a better life for you and him on the other side of that correcting. You may be the, and I think this is a real word, you may be the lukewarmiest, lukewarm Christian here. And here's Jesus' message to you. I love you. Come back to me. I, I, I want to help you get this right. I love you. Well, is he mad? Isn't he mad at me? Angry? No, what, he, he does want you to get this right with him today. So with tears running down his face, he says, look, I'm chastening you. I'm correcting you because I love you. Anyone ever think God hates you because you're lukewarm? No. In fact, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows actually that you're worse off and more ugly than you think you are. And he still loves you. Oh, well, sure, Andrew. God has to love me. He's God. 
Well, the word for love here is not agape, but phileo. Listen, listen to how sweet this is. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, yeah, yeah, you know I love you. You know that. But Andrew, I still like you. Even though I have to rebuke you and chasten you, I am still your friend. I love you deeply as my friend. I don't deserve that. Wow. Lord, Lord, forgive me for cheapening your love with my lukewarmness. You know, he, he loves you this way, lukewarm Christian. He loves you this way, unbeliever. He loves you this way, self-deceived person. He loves you. You know, I, I've always personally related to the Laodiceans so much over the years. Because much of my young life was spent in lukewarmness, half-heartedness towards God. You know, I grew up within these four walls of the church. I had kindergarten on that hall over there. I, I, I learned how to grow up as, as a young teen under my youth pastor, Zach, and other men in the church. You know, I was the epitome of the church kid. I wanted to know all there was to know. Come to church, be the guy that has all the answers in small groups. And I just strived to really build this perfect image that I had everything figured out. And that I was a committed follower of Jesus. Everything figured out, just like every other 15-year-old. But, but, but all it was, for the longest time, was an image. I was carrying around this image, this empty shell of religion. And I was comfortable, comfortably lukewarm in this half-hearted relationship to God. I didn't want to give up my sinful pleasures and my addictions because I, I didn't want to. And, and I also knew that Jesus was real and that I needed him. So what did I do? I deceived myself to camping somewhere right here in the middle, which was miserable. I had only given Jesus half of my heart until... Until I listened, until I looked into the mirror of God's word and finally saw the truth and believed it, I asked him to remove my spiritual blindness and turned away and repented of my sin and fully surrendered my life to him. Things haven't been the same since. But what I realized, though, that through all of this indifference towards God, he, he never stopped pursuing me. Even though I turned my back, he never stopped pursuing me. He was waiting for me to make a choice to repent and surrender. This is exactly where we're at in verse 20. Read it with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, we've walked through all this chastening, rebuking. Now Jesus says, look, Laodiceans, I love you. You're my friend. Please come back to me. Repent. And after all of that, where do we find Jesus standing? Behold, 
outside of a door, knocking for entry into the heart of man. Outside of the door, knocking for entry into his own church. I mean, why does Jesus knock? I mean, he could have easily just burst through the door, right? I mean, he's God. He, he, could, he could have forced his way in. Why doesn't he? Well, he's given us a choice. He's given you free will. Jesus comes to the door and asks for us to respond. He says, I'm going to knock. I'm going to pursue you all the way up to the doormat of your heart. And I'll knock and you need to respond. You have to open the door, though. Repent of your pride. Stop obsessing over yourself. Surrender to me. And we need to hear his voice. And and when when we truly pay attention to what he is trying to say, we can open the door and let him in. I love this here too. He says, if anyone hears my voice. You know, anyone means everyone. He's going to knock at the door of every man and woman's heart. And if anyone opens the door, he will, he will what, uh, stand in the doorway and just say hi? Exchange pleasantries and leave? No. Jesus doesn't just stop by and say, oh, hey, how's the family? I heard little Johnny went to the doctor. How is he doing? How is Carol's dance recital? Okay, great. Good to see you. Bye now. No. Jesus doesn't do that. He says he will come in, dine with you, break bread, spend time with you, stay with you, fellowship with you. Guys, this isn't a courtesy visit. He wants to stay with you forever. To dine in the original language meant more than just eating a drive through meal together with a bud. But a long face-to-face meal being nourished in each other's presence. Here's what we do often. Too often, we all claim we have time. All the time we have for God is just for a drive through meal. So we get our Bible verse of the day on our phone. Have a little Bible snack. Say, yeah, that was enough. No, it's not. It's not. That's not nourishing. You're not getting to know him. No bread was broken together. Sunday mornings aren't enough either. Being a Christian is not just something you put on your schedule once a week. We need to be coming daily to the Word of God to truly fellowship with Him. That's where we're going to grow. You know, the more time I spend in His Word with Him, the more He rubs off on me. He changes my desires that I don't like, my attitudes that I struggle with. And I start to live with a heavenly perspective. Everything around me has changed promises to do this too if we just open the door and dine with him wow you know he promises more things in verse 21 to the overcomer of compromise and indifference spiritual blindness he says this person whoever comes will get to sit with jesus on his throne man amen what a glorious promise won't you just open the door He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, I don't know about you, but I need to hear this message every once in a while, pretty pretty often. I I don't want to get comfortable in my blindness or start going through the motions of being a Christian. 
You know, the mirror of God's word is not going to lie to you about your spiritual condition. He's, he's leading you right now. He's talking to you. We may be able to hide it from others, but not in front of him. And he chastens us. He corrects us out of love, offers the solution to come back to him. and says, come back, repent, restore this fellowship together today. Let's eat a meal together. So maybe you're here today and you're lukewarm. You know, there's, there's areas of your life that you're just going through the motions in. Maybe you're here and you're running away from the Lord. But he's taken his position outside the door of your heart and he's knocking. You may try to run, but you're going to still hear this. Maybe you're here today. You've never come to Christ before. And he said he wrote all of this to, to everyone Are you hearing him? He's appealing to you to come to him. Hear him knocking at your door right now. Because if you don't come to Jesus, one day all you're going to hear is this. The last knock. And the Savior will have turned away. Because he presented every opportunity he could to you. And you refused. You know, if you've never made that decision to give your life to Christ, you need to make that decision today. What are you waiting for? He's knocking to you. He's knocking at your door right now. You can place your hope in him today. Everything can change. You know, to close, I'd like to lead us all in a prayer using the lyrics of that song we've been talking about, I Give You My Heart. You know, if you want to say to the Lord now, I, I surrender again. Lord, I've been lukewarm. I got, I got parts of my life where I'm, I'm just a little warm, not, not sticking with you. Or, or may, maybe for the first time you want to accept him and give your life to him. Then, then repeat the prayer with me. Repeat these lyrics in a prayer. And after service, there'll be prayer counselors as well. But we, we have to, we have to deal with these things. He, he's, he's knocking at our door right now. So let's pray. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for when I become lukewarm towards you and I care less and have a careless attitude towards you. Lord, forgive me for lukewarmness. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all of my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, Lord, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my soul. And Lord, I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment here that I'm awake, God, Lord, have your way in me. Please. Lord, Lord I just pray that you'll Help us to, to be real when we hear you knocking at our door. Lord, help us to, to cling to you. And, and even through the chastening, Lord, see your love. Lord, thank you so much for how deep and how great your love is for us. Lord, we don't deserve it. But you poured it out so freely. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray you just work these, these things, the scripture, into our hearts and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.